everyone to In Search of a Crystal Skull, an epic, exciting adventure into the realms of mediocrity. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And uh, we are going to review the second of uh, what's supposed to be the two best uh, Disney sequels, direct-to-DVD sequels. So, uh, well, at least uh, according to what Rotten Tomatoes had said. I mean, I know that there are some, but for the most part, these are some of the more higher rated ones. Okay, so, uh, and, uh, well, you know, people say that uh, you get things right on the second bounce. Uh, when it comes to the Cinderella se series, I think uh, we, uh, that goes for goes the rule. So, uh, shall we tell everybody what we think of the third film of the Cinderella franchise? Yes, let's do it. Okay, here we go. So Cinderella 3 is the third movie and the second sequel to the original 1955 classic. So um, in this movie, obviously, here's the thing about this, and we're going to uh, say this right off the bat. I have never seen Cinderella 2, so I have no I idea. I have. You have. Okay, then. So tell you what, maybe give me an idea of what we got in Cinderella 2 before we obviously go into Cinderella 3. Okay, so apparently um, with Cinderella 2, I have no idea if they were planning on doing like an, a Cinderella animated series because it works somewhat similar to like Belle's Magical World and the Atlantis Milo's Return in which they have like three separate stories telling three separate stories. But in Cinderella 2, there's three different stories. One story it involves with it's it's about like um you know it's about like a few months after Cinderella and Prince Charming got married and there are you know living in the palace and Cinderella's trying to find out okay this is what the palace life is and she doesn't really care for it too much she basically is like seeing that the traditions are just so old fashioned and you know she wants to change things up a bit and this has gotten like a lot of the people saying oh you know Cinderella you know she's really unorthodox you know why is she doing this you know we've set we've set to the traditions and you know this is what uh, you know it's basically like you know, Cinderella, um, there's this party coming along and Cinderella wants to like change like, oh, you know, getting rid of the curtains and getting rid of the colors of the, the palace and wants to be able to revitalize it. And um, so that's one. The second one is about Jacques, which, the, which is the little mouse, um, the one with the red sh uh, hat and the red shirt. And he feels unappreciated. He doesn't feel um, that he can help Cinderella anymore because, you know, she hasn't really been around for very long. And so... Um, you know, he also feels like he's like, he can't really do much to help because he's really small. So the very godmother turns him into a human by the name of Sir Hugh. And, uh, basically, you know, he meets up with someone and then there's like this cat who keeps like, um, you know, sort of like, um, you know, thinking that maybe he might be the, 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 the mouse, but it's not a hundred percent sure, but you know, then eventually he learns to be himself, and so he turns back into a mouse again. The third one, it focuses on one of the ugly stepsisters, uh, Anastasia, and she falls in love with a baker. And the, you know, Lady Tremaine, the mother, does not want her to be with a baker. She wants, you know, her to be of more royal um, and rich um, lineage. And so, you know, there's kind of like this on and off kind of thing about like her and the baker falling in love with each other and. You know, that's, uh, you know, basically, you know, Cinderella tells uh, Anastasia, you know, uh, you, you just have to, you know, follow your heart and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so that is pretty much all three stories of Cinderella 2, and they are not very good. It's just, to me, it doesn't even sound like much of a sequel. It just sounds like more like a, a series of chronicles. 
Hey, I mean, that's that's a whole, that's how a lot of these um, directed video uh, Disney movies were. It's like you have, you know, uh, with, like Tarzan and Jane felt somewhat similar, in which you had three separate stories, and it all ties up into Tarzan and Jane celebrating their first wedding anniversary. Um, then you have uh, Belle's Magical World, which also had like four or five separate stories, but we we already know that that was supposed to be like the episodes of a TV series that never happened. Um, Atlanta, Atlanta's Milo's Return was the same thing in which they had three separate stories and that was supposed to be the failed pitch of a TV series. So were they trying to do a Cinderella TV series? I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. When you really think about it, they really should have done like it. You remember when Cartoon Network did the, the What a Cartoon show and like uh, they basically let so, uh, you know animators run wild and come up with all these ideas and then they turn it mm-hmm. like into a TV show. Maybe they should have just done the same thing. You know, in like, he just said, oh, hey, here's our kind of like, you know, here's some skits from like, you know, uh, what different, you know, uh, Disney characters are getting up to in their worlds. Well, here's the thing. Disney did have an equivalent of what a cartoon and oh yeah, cartoons called Shorty McShort Shorts, except that pretty much none of the shows that were pitched ever got picked up for a series. So it was deemed pretty much worthless. Wow. And nowadays, Fail. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's unlike, you know, with what a cartoon we gotten like, you know, Dexter's Laboratory, Courage the Cowardly Dog, Cow and Chicken, Johnny Bravo, the Powerpuff Girls, we gotten those shows. What a cartoon, uh, oh yeah, cartoons, we gotten the Fairly Odd Parents Chalk Zone in My Life as a Teenage Robot, random cartoons, we gotten Fanboy and Chum Chum and Adventure Time, well, it, it, when it went over Car- Cartoon Network. But Short to Make Short Shorts got nothing like no show came from that and i guess maybe that's the reason why we never got that nowadays that format is kind of dated nowadays you kind of see that kind of stuff online as opposed to like in a television show so yeah i don't think disney is going to be doing that anytime soon mm-hmm. anyway um that was basically the pre- well, the uh the the preceding events before obviously cinderella 3 and so you probably imagine after hearing out all of that you think that uh, we'd be filled full of dread to watch this sequel but surprisingly, like, uh, I've watched through all of this, and surprisingly, I find it rather tame. I don't think it's really harmful in any particular way. You know, I, I think uh, there's nothing really we can say that's overly bad about it, can't we? Well, I mean, it's it's actually a miracle that this was able to become one of the better Disney sequels, because... As, as I mentioned before, I remember when I saw Cinderella 2 many years ago, and I was like, I'm never going to watch the third one. So I pretty much skipped out on that until just today when we were talking about it for this podcast. And wow, I mean, like, I I, I know that the, the Lindsay Ellis, a.k.a. the Nostalgia Chick, talked about, like, her top five best animated Disney sequels, and this was number one. I'm like, really? Out of, like, Lion King 2 and Aladdin 3, this was the best one? That made me skeptical. So then when I watched it, I was like, this is absolutely insane. <laughs> it's like, it's, um, so we'll give everybody the, uh, the the story of what Cinderella 3 is. So basically, um, it's kind of like, uh, it's like one of those stories of like, oh, what would happen if, uh, you know, the slipper didn't fit? Or like, uh, what would have happened if, uh, you know, the preceding events of uh, the first Cinderella movie never happened? And so it was basically, uh, so how it all plays out is that uh, Lady Tremaine gets hold of the wand, you know, the fairy godmother's wand, and then decides to change all the events from uh, what happened at the end of Cinderella and uh, basically rounded back to the final third of the movie where we then she uses a magic wand to make uh, Anastasia's foot fit the slipper. And so she was able to do that, and then she basically gets rid of all the evidence to say that uh, you know Cinderella was ever at the ball, 
you know, except for the one thing is that, uh, you know, somewhere deep in uh, the prince's mind is that he still has feelings for somewhere for Cinderella still in that. So um, it ends up being a situation where Cinderella has to sneak into the palace, uh, has to uh, somehow remind uh, Prince Charming that uh, she is the one that she's supposed to be with. And uh, so uh, she covertly ends up uh, being the official mouse catcher if you will, and so, and uh, uses uh, uh, Jock and uh, the the other mice to, uh, uh, as, uh, you know, cover for her to basically be in the palace and uh, work this work this job, and uh, within that, she, she basically tries to uh, figure out basically what's going on, and so that's basically the premise of this, so, um, you know, I mean, I guess we maybe, should we go into spoiler territory for this? I think yeah, uh, we, might we, well. we might as well do that, so, um, I guess in the first act, I guess it's a, it's a good uh, setup. I guess you could say. So, I mean, they obviously encase the fairy godmother in stone and uh, then they just wind back the clock. And uh, so then it's uh, it's in the situation where Cinderella doesn't realize what's uh, happened, what's going on. And you think, but mind you, the one thing I'll say is that you think at the very beginning she'd be like, absolutely distraught over what happened and trying to like right off the bat figure out what's going on. But then she kind of like goes into a musical number. Yeah, like, I, here's the thing, like, a lot of people tend to um, criticize Cinderella for being just the classic princess damsel in distress. Like, I mean, that's how a lot of these princesses were around the, you know, the 30s and 40s, all the way up until, like, around when the Disney Renaissance era happened, in which we gotten a lot more uh, headstrong, um, you know, basically independent princesses. So... I guess because, you know, we've already gotten to the point in which, hey, it's 2007, we've already ca gotten characters like Ariel and Belle and Mulan, so let's see if we can be able to, you know, tweak Cinderella a little bit and make her into a stronger character, while at the same time keep the integrity of the character. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, I, I guess they, they, they definitely do that with Cinderella. Like, uh, you know, she's not just kind of like, you know, threatening over like every single threat and things like that. She's like, she's uh, she's trying to fight her way through it. So she, in a way, she becomes quite action-y, which is kind of cool. And uh, But uh, at the same time, like some bits and pieces do come out of nowhere. And that song number definitely was one of them. A little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess they were still trying to keep the integrity of, you know, this was around the time, 2007, when, you know, Disney was still in their second dark age or the or basically the post-Renaissance era, as a lot of people call it, in which, like, you know, Pixar and DreamWorks were basically, like, taking it over. Disney was in third place, and um, th they were still trying to figure themselves out. I mean, I think that 2007, was it, which, which movie came out around that? Meet the Robinsons or something? Yeah, and then a year so, later yeah. would be, and then a year later would be Bolt, and then finally another year later would be Princess and the Frog, which was the movie that pretty much like brought them back. Even though a lot of people say it was Tangled, but I still think that Princess and the Frog at least helped it a little bit. Yeah, I think I think Princess, I think Princess and the Frog kind of like uh, was a uh, a uh, a whistle to say, oh hey, uh, Disney's you know back doing you know doing their normal thing again, and then Tangled and Frozen and everything like that kind of helped it along. So, uh, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you can make things into a bigger thing. So at least that's the way I would probably tell it. Yeah. So, so basically, it. so basically the reason why those song numbers are there was because, you know, oh, our song numbers was able to, uh, you know, be the spirit of what Disney was, you know, we're going to still keep in the songs and we're, we're still going to make it into a musical because that's what people associated with Disney. And they weren't really doing that in the two thousands. Like, you know, we, I mean, sure, maybe Lilo and Stitch, but like nobody was singing that song. I mean, it was like a lot of the soundtrack. You have to understand, like, the 
the animated movies of the 2000s about like all the directions that they were doing like shrek was probably one of their most influential movies that ever came out so everybody was trying to copy off of that and then when it came to like pixar pixar didn't use a lot of their musicals unless it was like for a sad moment or for a happy moment so um, Disney was still trying to keep into like, okay, uh, we're not going to do the musicals for our main movies, but for our th- uh, direct-to-video movies where it's based off of an old property, we still have to keep the musical numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing also, I think, with this movie, which is very surprising, at least for me, was uh, we still got some character evolution out of Anastasia. I don't want the tram. Yeah, and they and yeah, and they did that in the second movie, in which she fell in love with the baker. And in the post credits from the third movie, you saw that she and the baker actually did get back together again. So yeah, I mean, out of all the characters that you would never expect to have like development, Anastasia, I, I never expected that either. Like, uh, you, because, with, uh, because at the beginning, the reason I say that is because at the beginning, um, Anastasia, you know, is uh, at the point where she just basically just wants to uh, be part of royalty and wants to get married and wants to uh, basically uh, hide in a social status. And so she's willing to do it by any means necessary, and that means going along with uh, uh, the you know Mother Tremine's plan. But then she realizes at the very beginning, is like, is that what's going to make her happy? And uh, is that uh, you know, is she basically turning into someone she doesn't want to be? And then eventually, you get to the uh, the uh, the final third where she ends up being a, you know a literal carbon copy of Cinderella. You know, like uh, so um, it's uh, so she has some evolution in that as well. Like she doesn't want to be, she wants to be herself. She doesn't want to be somebody else. If you know, if you know, I mean, so in a way, she has a she has a great story arc in this. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think she does. And Lady Tremaine is just as menacing as ever. She's always one step ahead of Cinderella and thinking that okay, uh, uh, you know, Cinderella is um, now no longer going to be marrying the prince because hey, I was able to make it that so the one uh, the the shoe doesn't fit. So it's like stay away from the prince. And so when she tries to go to the prince, by pretending to be a servant. And then she's like, oh, you know, this woman is dangerous. She's trying to, you know, capture the, you know, the prince or, you know, get the princess. And she's, you know, she is actually, you know, uh, a liar and a thief. And so basically every time that Cinderella tries to do something, Lady Tremaine is always one step ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I should have noticed, uh, actually, I think we might have overbrushed. Uh, did they kill off Lucifer in this in this movie? I mean, Lucifer has gone through a lot in like the previous movies. I mean, we thought in the first movie, you know, Lucifer was dead when, you know, he fell off into Cinderella's tower after Bruno was about to, you know, chomp him away. So I don't know. I mean, is Lucifer dead? Maybe. I mean, it's it hasn't. I, I don't think that they would do that. Though, uh, but maybe. Uh, yeah. It's like, well, I mean, this is Disney we're talking about. There's been some pretty horrendous, uh, you know, uh, villain deaths. In, in movies, like, uh, I think we've seen someone get hanged, well, not actually seen someone get hanged, uh, well, Gaston dropped thousands of feet to his death. I mean, like, uh, we've seen some pretty horrendous stuff from Disney in regards okay. to, like, how many villains have died. So it wouldn't surprise me if they would uh, put another one up in this, but, uh, I mean, who knows at this point? It was too, too mm. much to notice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in regards to that, I mean, Prince Charming in this, I mean, he has far more character than he did in the first movie. I, I mean, uh, like, there's no doubt, of course he does. I mean, all Prince Charming did in the first movie was just, like, he didn't want to be involved with his father getting a bride for him. And, you know, he was just, like, meeting up with all the girls, and he was completely bored until he met Cinderella. And, you know, we don't even see him, like, you know, going around and, you know, where, you know, with um every single house and, like, having, you know, them put on the slipper. It was the Grand Duke who did it. So, you know, the prince, all we saw from him was, like, during the, the ball and then the wedding. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously a huge, you know, uh, s- step forward from uh, 
from from the first movie. And so, and uh, I mean, dare I say, I mean, I did actually somewhat get to like him, you know, in, yeah. in as well. So because. Uh, you could tell that, you know, even though he had like this uh, you know, awful spell cast on him, like he still somewhat harbored feelings somewhere deep in for her, this uh, this woman that he met on that night on on there, and uh, he just couldn't believe that it was Anastasia at one point, and he actually was uh, suspecting that it was somebody else, and so yeah, and that's a great that's a great um, you know story driver in all of this because it makes you wonder, like at some point, when's he going to remember uh, everything that's going to happen, and uh, then it all kind of like comes together when the mice tell him what what's happened. And yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And and the only way he was able to feel Cinderella's presence was when he held her hand because he remember holding her hand during the ball. And that was the one thing that made him fall in love with Cinderella as opposed to in Anastasia when he clearly, you know, was trying to remember that, oh, um, is it uh, this woman that I love that I dance with on the ball? And then when Lady Tremaine was messing with his memory saying, okay, no, it was Anastasia that you danced with. But then the one thing that it was still, um, you know, carrying throughout the movie was that when he held uh, Cinderella's hand, that was who, um, you know, who was the one who he danced with and who he fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in regards to Prince Charming, though, I think uh, one thing they tried to do with him, which uh, I felt didn't, re- I felt kind of fell flat a little bit, is that they tried to make him a bit into an action hero in this. But when they, when yeah, okay, that when the um, initiative for him to go out and try and seek out Cinderella before obviously she gets deported. I mean, obviously that's something that nearly happens in this movie. Yeah, I mean, like they they go with like all these action scenes, but when when they comes to actually doing the animation for it, they look really goofy. I mean, uh, at one point, like, uh, you remember his father tries to stop him from going down the stairs. So he dives headfirst out the window and pretty much looks like he's falling to his death. <laughs> I was expecting, like, the goofy scream to happen when he was falling. Yeah, and, like, you know, like the Looney Tunes crash when, like, yeah. you know, like uh, that, that one. And so, um, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, that, that came out so quick. Well, it actually came out so quick, I actually couldn't believe it. And so I had to actually ask you if I could rewind the footage to actually say, can we just watch that again just to make sure I saw what I saw? Yeah, <laughs> and, and that and that never happens, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's just that. Uh, it just came. It's, it's only like a couple of seconds as well of, of animation so and there's actually a gif of it as well on, on twitter somewhere where I, I think i actually posted it up somewhere i think you like, did yeah i did and just like you know it's uh, you just have to watch it again and again to see and it's, it just gets funnier as as far as uh, more more you watch it so but then you know that's that's not that's nothing like there's the bit where he goes on i think it's like in the windmill i think he like rides a horse up into the windmill goes all the way up with the horse and then somehow ends up crashing through the window and like you know going flying over to the ship and then landing like on the sails like Peter Pan style and then coming down and yeah. like uh, yeah it's just it's uh it just I mean it looks goofy I mean like it uh, if it yeah it just doesn't play to like uh, if they were going for some kind of like heroic thing about the, what annoying me about that is and I guess you could say this is something I don't particularly like about it is that they did like all this pretexting as well of, like him being in, like in a sword fight you know, you know when he's doing like all the fencing with his father and uh, in the uh, in the gymnasium, and I'm just sitting there like, oh wow, they're like pretexting like there's going to be this epic sword fight, you know, that's going to happen like at the, you know, in the final third, and he's going to have to save Cinderella in that okay, but uh, you know they didn't really they didn't really go anywhere with that. It was just a scene mm-hmm. that was just there for for yeah. For, for I, I, I was expecting I was expecting like you know Prince Charming fighting against like maybe um, the men who were trying to take. Um, 
uh, you know, Cinderella away. And maybe it's like, you know, I'm going to have to fight you to it, uh, even though I don't think that would have happened because obviously, um, you know, those were his men to begin with. So, I mean, yeah, or maybe like maybe uh, Lady Tremaine would have summoned like a monster and uh, Prince Charming had to fight for Cinderella's safety, kind of like Sleeping Beauty. But yeah, again, that never really happened. Yeah, I, mean, I guess like they're, just... they're trying to make Prince Charming like Prince Philip, and that didn't really work. No, like, uh, I think, yeah, you can have, now that you think of, now that I think about it, I think he, he is quite Prince Philippy in this movie, isn't he? Yeah, like, he is. And, and and I guess that makes a lot of sense because Prince Charming didn't have any personality to begin with. Yeah. So, um, also the King's, the King's in this movie and uh, he's, he's quite pretty much the comedy relief in this. And yeah, like, uh, he was, he, he was the comedy relief in the second movie as well. It's kind of like being a little bit daffy and, you know, kind of like sort of accepting, uh, Cinderella stuff at first. And then he was like seeing, oh, this is, this actually is a good idea, Cinderella. Maybe we should implement this into our palace. Yeah. But then, uh, at the same time, he's also serious as well because he's like, uh, look, I've wasted so much time, you know, looking for this princess. Now we finally got her. And now all of a sudden you want to go searching out again. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just, so uh, in a way, his uh, his motivations are understandable because he's none the wiser of what's going on in the in, in the entire movie. He just thinks that's everything's just kind of like, you know, keep in mind, this is like this is like a Batch of the Future scenario. Like, you know, it's uh, he's just basically playing out what uh, he think is re- his reality. He doesn't know that, uh, you know, Lady Trendmine is basically working magic behind the scenes. Yeah, and and not only that, but we already know that pretty much everything throughout the movie of the reason why the ball is happening, the reason why Cinderella is with the prince is because of the king, because the reason why he did it was because he wanted grandchildren, and he fears that he has not a lot of time left to live. So he wants to find, um, you know, a woman for the prince to marry, and that way he can be able to see his grandchildren before he dies. Yeah, and also there's uh, the bit as well where uh, he brings up his wife, who's obviously dead in this movie, because you know, uh, of course, why, of course. Why, why, why would you have living mothers in Disney World? You know, like uh, it's uh, it's amazing that people procreate in this in this in this universe. You know, from the like, from the final from the earlier generations of uh, of dead moms. But uh, um, you know, in regards to that, I mean, they have, he does have a pretty touching moment with Anastasia. Where where he hands over like uh, uh, you know the most what he thinks is the most precious object that he uh, he owns, which is a seashell, and hands it over mm-hmm. to Anastasia, and that's uh, you know th- that also inspires Anastasia to say, oh hey, you know uh, this is this really what I want, and is this really you know uh, am I just you know taking the place of somebody who I shouldn't be? So I mean like uh, they, so there's funnily enough the the king and Anastasia who you know are not the title characters and not the not I wouldn't say the main characters of this movie uh, are getting some interesting dialogue amongst themselves. Right. So, yeah, I mean like so yeah, I mean this Cinderella 3 has a lot to offer. I think uh, for a lot of people, and so um, I'm, you know, I'm not too surprised that it's actually you know, we are kind of shocked really about how this all came about. Like, you know, it came out of a very awful pretext, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, they've just seemed to... This should have probably been the second movie. You yeah, know. that that would have been great. That would have been amazing if this would have been the second movie. But nope, of course not. That that didn't happen. Yeah. And and you know the fact that this was actually one of the last of the you know direct to video Disney sequels, right before John Lasseter shut the whole thing down, and then you know Disney Toon Studios were working on Tinkerbell movies and the Plane series. And then, you know, Disney Toon Studios is no longer with us, so... Well, he, he discontinued it, but he didn't kill it off entirely. I mean, like, obviously we got two Frozen uh, sequels after Frozen, so, uh, I mean, like... Yeah, uh, but but those were, like, official. I, I, to be fair, it's, it's kind of a debate. I mean, are any of these sequels, like, official? 
Well, it's hard okay, to say. I mean, unfair. I mean, I was talking about the shorts more than the sequels. I mean, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, the shorts and sequels are two completely different things. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, like, uh, in regards to, like, continuations of, like, the story, I mean, uh, I think we're still going to get that from Disney as long as they see them as profitable. So, yeah, I mean, as of, uh, yeah, I mean, like in recent years, they started actually doing sequels to their movies, like you know, Ralph Breaks the Internet and Frozen Two. But for the most part, when it comes to like official Disney sequels, Disney doesn't do it very often. I mean, there's like the Rescuers Down Under, and um, you know, and the the other ones that I just mentioned. So yeah, for the most part, they don't do sequels. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, and, and they're reluctant to the point where if ideas do get drawn up, like, and even if they do somewhat go somewhere, some somewhere down the line, a director stops it dead in his tracks. Like, apparently, there was supposed to be a Cinderella four after Cinderella three, and yep. uh, that that has not, you know, that has basically been talked about for like four years, and nothing's ever happened to it. Yeah, there were a lot. There were supposed to be a lot more direct-to-video Disney sequels that never happened. There was supposed to be an Aristocat sequel that would focus on Marie. There would there should there would have been a Dumbo sequel where they focus on other animals. Uh, there was supposed to be a lot more, but then John Lasseter just shut the project down. And you know, Cinderella, um, Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginnings was the last. Disney sequel right before they focus on the the first Tinkerbell movie. Yeah, but mind you, then we got the live action movies, and it kind of makes me wonder: like, uh, did Disney really change for the better at that point? Oh, yeah. I'm actually curious for all of you guys uh, listening and post in the comments below: which do you think are worse? Do you think that the direct-to-video Disney movies are worse, or the live-action Disney remakes are worse? Well, financially speaking, I mean, these uh, live-action movies have made millions of dollars, and also uh, The Lion King also broke a billion as well. So, like, uh, I guess you could say in that aspect, I guess you could say that. Sure, finan- finan- yes, financially, yes, the live-action movies are better, but when it comes to the quality, I mean, like, there hasn't been a lot that really justified its existence. Like, a lot of people didn't really care for the, um, the Beauty and the Beast remake, or the Maleficent movies haven't really existed exactly like turned heads then there's a lion king movie and uh then there's like um uh let's see what else i mean i guess pete's dragon and the lion and uh, the jungle book and and obviously um the 2015 version of cinderella are the only ones that i see people really like praising and uh, not counting the 101 dalmatians movie but that came out in the 90s i'm talking about the more recent ones mm-hmm. anyway oh, and, um oh, uh, I guess I have to mention one more thing. So um, the one thing that I did like about, uh, you know, fe- uh, that was featured in this movie was that a lot of the characters do seem to get some attention. It's not like just focusing on one. And I know they try to do that with Cinderella too, but, you know, the the, se- the stories felt kind of separate. But in here, they felt like they were put together. Well, you got to see well it, was a, it was a complete movie. I mean, like, it wasn't just like different segments all like kind of glued together, kind of like, you know, Belle's Magical World. Yeah, well, I mean, so. I was mentioning that for Cinderella, too, because oh. they were, like, different stories that were pretty much glued together. But here, it actually does fit together. We get to see Anastasia struggling to accept that um, maybe she doesn't want the prince. Maybe she wants to be loved by actual love as opposed to being forcefully loved. And so Lady Tremaine was like, no, I'm not going to have this Anastasia. You are going to marry the prince and you're going to do it, you know, no matter what I say. And, you know, she does everything from like continually brainwashing the prince. And even when, um, you know, Cinderella was able to convince the prince that she was the one who um, was dancing with the prince Lady Tremaine once again took another step direction by, you know, having her de- trying to deport her and then tr- transforming Anastasia into Cinderella, and they were really close to having the marriage. It almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Little Mermaid, in which like 
In Little Mermaid, uh, Ursula disguised herself as a girl named Vanessa, and she was able to sing the same way as Ariel because she actually had Ariel's voice. And then um, she brainwashed Prince Eric, and they were able to have the wedding right away, and it just took uh, Cinderella to come in and, you know, disrupt it alongside with her animal friends. It kind of somewhat similar in which like you know Cinderella's trying to rush over to the wedding right before Anastasia and the prince get married and you know it's like this huge lie except that the difference is that Cinderella uh rushes in on time and sees shockingly that Anastasia says I don't want to marry you and then she's like shocked and is like wondering why and it's like because well um I'm not who you think I am and so then finally you know Cinderella was able to come in and then Anastasia turned back to normal and Lady Tremaine is so angry and then there's like this big we you know wand fight and then finally uh the fairy godmother gets free and then um then we have the ending where uh Lady Tremaine and Drizella are working in the dungeons as servants which is kind of like a nice little reversal that you know with Cinderella being the servant to the house all her years now that's going to happen to them so mm-hmm. yeah i think that they were able to tw- the tie in the story pretty nicely yeah so, um, the only thing I wanted to uh, probably end on was the fact that, uh, you know, the end of Cinderella 3, I mean, they pretty much left it at the point where they were happy that it was overridden and that, so they didn't, like, uh, decide to, like, go back on, uh, to, like, revert everything back to the original story, because you think that was going to be the way that they did it. So, it kind of leaves a bit of a confusion for me. So, it's like, um, is Cinderella 3 basically saying in the Cinderella lore, forget the first movie, the third movie's basically what happened? Like, uh, yeah, like you remember that that was what the case was in which like the fairy godmother's like, would you like me to turn you back in time and like, um, you know, forget that everything that happened already never happened. And she was like, nah. So maybe, I mean, I was thinking that, oh, maybe I want to fall in love with the prince all over again. And we get to spend our first year together. And now we have a stronger appreciation for each other. But maybe you're right, Aaron. Maybe it's like they're trying to remove the first movie out of the agenda. But that's kind of distasteful, if you ask me. Well, I mean, like, the first instance did happen. And then all of a sudden they twisted time and then rewrote back over it again. It's just, oh, it's just, it's uh, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's confusing. So you're trying to tell me that it takes place after the ball, but maybe they're trying to remove Cinderella 2 from this, the agenda? It's I like, you know, know, all the things from Cinderella 2 didn't happen, in which, like, you know, Anastasia and the baker never met, and Jacques didn't feel unappreciated, so he never turned into human. I I, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of hard to say. Oh, maybe they erased the second movie, so yeah, I think maybe they did us a favor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if that's the case, then yeah, then thank you, Cinderella 3. Maybe, maybe knew that Cinderella 2 sucks, which is why they did Cinderella 3's ending the way it was. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. So, anyway, um, we're going to go with some scores. So, I mean, I would say it's very surprising. I mean, like, I wouldn't say it's like my favorite Disney movie or by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, uh, I, I'd say I'd give it about 7.5. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say seven point five as well because um, uh, what 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 rank did we give um, Lion King one and a half seven point um, five as well? I think we gave it around about that time. Yeah, so yeah, so both of these movies, I don't think that they'll be as like praised as their original movies, but at least they're not you know hot steaming piles of garbage. 
So it, it's nowhere near as bad as like Bell's Magical World or Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, in which like these movies just didn't need to exist. Like I can understand the justification of these movies' existences. Like what would have been like if we saw Timon and Pumbaa's perspective of what happened during the events of The Lion King? And with Cinderella, it's like what would have happened if uh, the fairy godmothers um Juan was taken away by Lady Tremaine and she was able to revert everything back from the beginning and then had Anastasia do uh the dancing with the prince as opposed to Cinderella so yeah they were able to actually tell some really interesting stories the characters are just as engaging and also the voice acting is actually pretty good and the animation looks pretty decent too actually that's one thing actually we forgot we actually brushed over a little bit actually like the, the music and the animation and the presentation i mean dare i say maybe they might have because uh, return to neverland obviously came out in theaters didn't it yes and it did return to neverland Return to Neverland and Jungle Book 2 came out in theaters. Yeah, like, it makes you wonder, was Cinderella 3 kind of destined to also come out in theaters as well? Looking at how well... I don't, I don't think so, because two, uh, 2007 was the year that Cinderella 3 came out, and 2002 and 2003, I think, was when, when the Jungle Book came out, and because both of those movies didn't do well in the theaters, that they decided, okay, no more theatrical direct-to-video movies. And we even said that for um, Lion King 1.5. That came out in 2004, so maybe they wanted to do the same thing for Lion King 1.5, but that didn't happen. So I guess they were like sorted out to, okay, we're just going to release these on uh, direct-to-video, just like we've been doing in the previous movies. Our um, theatrical movies didn't really make a dent in the box office, because as we mentioned before, DreamWorks and Pixar were at main competition, and you know anything produced by Disney was looked upon very palely compared to the other stuff. Uh-huh. So, anyway, um, that is the end of our Cinderella 3 review. And uh, we, because we've been doing this now for a good couple of episodes, and because uh, most of you have been enjoying this, uh, we're actually going to have a special episode at, uh, at the in this one. So, uh, everybody tune in uh, next week uh, when we do a special review of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World from 1963. And we'll be putting you up against Rat Race, uh, the John Cleese film of 2001. So yeah, that should, that should be really interesting. Cool. So until that special episode, uh, take care, everybody, and we will see you next time on In Search of the Crystal Skull. Take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later.